this is a great review. It's very detailed, and I appreciate that with a one-star review. Sometimes when you go on Goodreads, you can see a one-star review, and the person's like, I didn't read this book. And I just think, I think the Goodreads algorithm should filter out one-star reviews where the reviewer actively puts in the review, I did not read this. Hello, hi, I'm Erin Vandeven. Thanks for joining me today. This is Medium Lady Talks. This podcast is about figuring out the medium effort way to get the most out of life today. I hope the things I unpack here can role model and invite you to sort out your own ways to live life in the present. This is a show about experimenting to get closer to what matters most. I'm glad you're here, so let's settle in. Hello, hi, and welcome to Medium Lady Talks. My name is Erin, I'm your host, and this is episode 64. We're going to talk about a couple of reviews of books that I read in the winter of 2023. If you're a long-standing Medium Lady Talks follower, or you've been following these 64 episodes up until now, you'll know that I like to do a episode on books probably once a quarter, or sometimes more often than that. And if you want to go back into the archives and hear more book reviews, there is a Medium Lady Reads playlist in Spotify that I will link in the show notes here in case that you're really a big fan of the book content on this podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about three loves, two likes, one current hit, and a must read from the backlist. And I'm going to give you my opinions and my thoughts on those books. These include all of the books that I've read since January 1st of 2023, and will go all the way to the present time right now. So any of the books that I've included here, I will try to reference when I read them, but you can rest assured that I've read them anytime between New Year's and right now. This episode will go live on March 30th, and I feel like that's a pretty good summary of the quarter of reading that I've done. I have started tracking my reading electronically right now, and I have done so last year. I did so on paper with a reading journal called My Reading Life by Anne Bogle, who is the quintessential podcast host, <laughs> book podcast host. She hosts the podcast, What Should I Read Next? I'll link that here. Anne Bogle's My Reading Life is a wonderful book journal, and I use that all through 2022 to track my reading life. I really, really enjoyed that experience, but I thought this year I would pivot to a digital experience, and I am currently using the currently reading Patreon reading log, which is <laughs> in many ways a total 180 from the Reading Life book. My Reading Life by Ann Bogle is a small journal. It's compact. It's very sweet. And it has really small pages per book that you've read. The Reading Log by Currently Reading details reading to the minutia. It has pretty much everything on a wish list that a reader could possibly want. So I'm kind of figuring out still what columns are working for me and what columns um, I actually need to add. But overall, I do like having the opportunity to, the moment I finish a book, record my experience because that was one of the things that held me up with the paper copy of my reading journal was that when I finished a book and let's say I was commuting or I was out and about or I was at the cottage or wherever, um, I wouldn't be able to record my immediate impressions of the book right away. This is all just to experiment and bring more joy into my reading life. Tracking your reading can be a really, really rich experience if you are a reader or if you want to become, um, if you want to read with more volume. Because what you will do is you'll start to naturally see patterns and you'll naturally be able to read books for you. You'll be able to see what you are attracted to in a book and you'll be able to hear that while I talk through this episode 
But when you track your reading life, you kind of build a sense of a body of work, a body of work of works that you've made your way through and, and how they've perhaps impacted you or reflected the season of life that you're in. And it's all just inf interesting information. There's no good or bad about it. I know for a lot of people, tracking their reading lives is not appealing. And I think you have to really know yourself. But I like to share that with you because I hope that it's, you know, if it's something you haven't thought of, but sounds appealing, I would say the barrier to entry is pretty darn low. If you want to start tracking your reading, you can even start by using something like Goodreads. If you're interested in following me on Goodreads, I'm medium lady over there too. I am not super active on Goodreads. I usually will just rate my reading by stars using their star method, and I will sort of qualify what I'm making my way through, um, but I don't write reviews or anything like that. But if you want to see what I've read, the books that are not going to be covered in this episode, uh, you can kind of see, I guess, the list of those books over there. Also on Instagram, I do like to try to, in my stories at least, reflect the books that are currently on my reading pile. I tend to read more than one book at a time. I may have anywhere between three and five books on the go. Three is the sweet spot. I like to have one on my e-reader. I have a Kobo, one in paper copy, usually from the library, and one audiobook. And that rotation seems to do me pretty well in my reading life. Okay, so without further ado, let's get into the episode. We're going to do three loves, two likes, one current hit, and a must read from the backlist. The first book that is a total love is an audiobook that I read this year called Tell Me More by Kelly Corrigan. Here's the Goodreads synopsis. And actually, the title of this book is Tell Me More, Stories About the 12 Hardest Things I'm Learning to Say. It's a crazy idea, trying to name the phrases that make love and connection possible. But that's just what Kelly Corrigan has set out to do here. In her New York Times bestselling memoirs, Corrigan distilled our core relationships to their essences, showcasing a warm, easy storytelling style. Now in Tell Me More, she's back with a deeply personal, unfailingly honest, and often hilarious examination of the essential phrases that turn the wheel of life. This book by Kelly Gorgon is memoir and centers around the loss of her dad, the loss of a friend, and her own experience with cancer, a cancer diagnosis in her, I think her 40s, and her survival of that cancer diagnosis. So she is a cancer survivor please keep in mind that those triggers all pertain. I found this recommendation via the Modern Mrs. Darcy e-newsletter. <laughs> and again, shout out to Anne Bogle. Anne Bogle's becoming a really massive recommendation source in my life. But Anne Bogle also has a blog and her blog has an e-newsletter. And there was an article that she was promoting called Books That Are About Friendship or something like that. Books About Connection and Friendship. And I think I was looking for an audiobook to help me make my way through a couple of chores over the weekend. I'd gotten kind of behind on, I can't remember if I was behind on laundry or had to declutter something, and I didn't have an audiobook in that audio slot. So I went to that newsletter and I found this book. And honestly, I'm not really sure. I think the fact that it was just available is the, is the thing that, you know, caused me to pick it up. But it's the reason I'm bringing it to the podcast today is this book was so, so deeply moving and wonderful. It is very, very funny. It is extremely relatable, even though I personally have not had the experience of losing a father, a friend, or surviving cancer. There are some things in this book that are so moving and so on a human level relatable 
The audiobook is read by the author, and I think there was something about that that also made it deeply moving, especially as she talks about the experience of being with her dad in his final days. I think that the audiobook is absolutely a for sure must pick up. I will also say that this book was really sad at times. And even while listening to audio, I think I listened to the final chapters driving home on a really long commute from work. And I did at times actually find myself like really crying. And I was grateful that it was stop and go traffic because <laughs> I think that had I been on the highway listening to it, I, I might have had to pull over because it was really deeply sad at many times. That being said, I also blitzed through it. It was a really quick read for me. And it's a book I'm actually still thinking about right now. There are some turns of phrases that are so beautiful that I actually might purchase a print copy. And that, I've said before, is a really good sign of a book that I actually love. You know, there were so many breathtaking, relatable lines. And something about how Kelly Corrigan captures the rawness of her grief, her grief about her friend, her, her grief about her dad, and her own inner life as a person who's trying to be better. I think, you know, there are times when she's really exasperated by how she continues to be the same person day after day. This also really instilled in me um, the importance in my own life of being there for people. I really felt inspired to, you know, live up my values of being there for people. And I think this has also continued to inspire me also to do more and more personal writing. I realized that I used to do a lot of personal writing and it was a huge way to process and heal for me. But a huge means of that was actually sharing my writing on Instagram. That was like a huge sort of like part of the process was writing, you know, how I was doing, how I was feeling, processing that and then putting it on Instagram. And, and also, frankly, to be honest, getting feedback on that writing. And then with the advent of reels, I think that you know, the algorithm really influenced me to step away from my own writing. But the one thing I will say about this book that's really special is capturing the way connection with others can be hard. Hard because you want to do the right thing, you want to say the right thing, but that actually requires showing up again and again and again. And I think what this book shows is that Kelly Corgan has layered the loss of her dad over the loss of her friend and her own sort of second chance at life. Um, it was all just really moving and meaningful about, you know, watching loss and how loss can motivate you to want to live more deeply, want to live more fulfilling um, in your own life. And so that's Tell Me More by Kelly Corrigan. I listened to it on audiobook, and I think it is absolutely a love. Okay, the second love is a lot more lighthearted, um, <laughs> a lot more fun. Uh, but still really dazzling and fantastic book. This is called Honey and Spice. It's by Bolu Babalola. It is a, uh, I think this is classifies as like new adult contemporary romance novel, um, but it's really so much more than that. Uh, let me give you a read of the Goodreads synopsis. Sharp-tongued and secretly soft-hearted, Kiki Banjo has just made a huge mistake. As an expert in relationship evasion and the host of the popular student radio show Brown Sugar, She's made it her mission to make sure the women of the African-Caribbean Society at Whitewell University do not fall into the mess of situationships, players, and heartbreak. But when the Queen of the Unbothered kisses Malachi Corede, the guy she just publicly denounced as the waste man of Whitewell in front of every Blackwellian on campus, she finds her show on the brink. <laughs> this book is really, really funny really, really sharp. It's full of incredible tension and kind of 
will they or won't they romantic intrigue. This book is spicy without being, um, it, it leaves a lot to the imagination, I guess is what I want to say. In terms of the spice on this book, I think because it's really uh, heavy in the character development and the dialogue is really, really sparky, it amplifies the romance without needing to have a lot of really steamy scenes. Uh, that being said, I think I would say overall that the romance level is, you know, around the maybe a four out of five. This book is written by a black female author. Bolu Babalola comes from Nigeria and the setting for this is also particularly interesting. I think it's really fun that she called it Whitewell University because certainly this is a college in the UK that has a really strong, really wonderful black college campus culture, but remains under racism and white supremacy despite despite how much that culture appears to be thriving. And I think that Bolu Babalola does that with a nuanced hand um, without taking over the incredibleness of the character of Kiki Banjo. I think if you read this book and you don't fall in love with Kiki Banjo, um, <laughs> I'll be really curious to know why not. She is just such a wonderful fully formed individual as a, again as I said before the dialogue in this book is like total brain candy was the absolute mood I gobbled this book up I think over an entire weekend this book was kind of everywhere but I found the recommendation from the good housekeeping summer reads of 2022 list if you've listened to some of my other episodes you know that I think I picked four or five books from that good housekeeping article I do find magazines to be quite an excellent source for book recommendations outside of Instagram and Bookstagram, etc., or even podcasts. I think all four of those books were like smash hits for me. So this summer, I will absolutely be looking forward to downloading my copy of Good Housekeeping from my library and seeing if hopefully they replicate that reading list because that was a list that I just absolutely devoured all of the books that I pulled from it. And perhaps I should even go back to that list anyway and just <laughs> see what's on there and read from the backlist. Also, it took me a good six months to get this on copy from my library. So I think that also speaks to just how popular and how fantastic this book is. This book has a total trope for me that I just cannot resist, an irresistible trope, which is stories that start with a kiss. I don't know, you know, what in the Never Been Kissed, you know, the Drew Barrymore the teen movies of my millennial, sweet millennial heart. Books that start with a kiss, a sort of like surprise kiss or an unintended kiss or a performative kiss. I don't know, like that kind of thing just hooks me right away. And so I was truly hooked from the beginning with this immediate sense of place, of context and culture, this incredible community of students, but situated within, you know, Whitewell University. As a reader, you know, I, like I said before, I was immediately cheering for Kiki Banjo and then later cheering for her and love interest Malachi for things to, you know, kind of work out between them. Um, the stakes in this book are pretty low, which I also appreciated. There's a couple of other books that I'm going to talk about where the stakes feel kind of high. And I haven't noticed too much, but I do think that playing back and forth on the stakes being high and the stakes being low can make for a really fun reading life. When you're pulling for books when the stakes are high, 
time and time and time again, it can start to bog you down. And that might be, you know, a book like Tell Me More by Kelly Corrigan. It does feel like the stakes are kind of high in that book because there's really human truths in that book. And while there are definitely very human truths in this book as well, the I think it's the dialogue. I keep going back to that incredible dialogue that allow you to stay in the fun zone with this book while also appreciating that the characters are individuals with distinct points of view. There were some parts where that dialogue gets overplayed just a little bit, but all of the characters are actually perfect. There's incredible charisma across the entire cast. And as I said before, there's a lot of this book that's really hot while people have all their clothes on. So I always appreciate an author who can write steamy without necessarily... (laughs) (laughs) getting like anatomically graphic. So I'll just put that out there for you. I think if you're also looking for a book that doesn't include grief or loss, I feel like that's been a huge trend in my reading life lately. It feels like almost 75% of the books that I read are about grief and loss. Um, This book doesn't include that. And um, you might find that that's a really refreshing um, change of pace for you. So that is Honey and Spice by Bolu Babalola. All right, my third love is going to be The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. Oh my gosh. This is the second audiobook on my loves list, so that's kind of interesting. I definitely feel like my sort of uh, my book portfolio of having one print book, one ebook, and one audiobook has allowed me to sample more audiobooks, and it's also allowed me to read more fiction on audio, which I would say normally fiction on audio is something that I shy away from. And I have heard from other bookish friends that that is the same for them, that they prefer nonfiction in their audiobooks. That being said, I read The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. This was a total five-star read for me and has another irresistible trope, which is the sassy elder. (laughs) Sassy elder characters having adventures. Um, Another book that I'm going to recommend later is another sassy elder um, having adventures. So The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. Let's dive into the Goodreads synopsis and we'll talk a little bit about it. In a peaceful retirement village, four unlikely friends meet up once a week to investigate unsolved murders. But when a brutal killing takes place on their very doorstep, the Thursday Murder Club find themselves in the middle of their very first live case. Elizabeth, Joyce, Ibrahim, and Ron might be pushing 80, but they still have a few tricks up their sleeves. Can our unorthodox but brilliant gang catch the killer before it's too late? (laughs) The Thursday Murder Club is mystery fiction. It's like British crime. Published in 2020, but again, this was another book that was recommended to me by a friend, my friend Sarah. One of my favorite traditions in the new year is to get 12 books recommended by 12 friends for 12 months of the year. And I put that on Instagram and I ask people to send me recommendations and then I read them throughout the entire calendar year. So my friend Sarah recommended to me The Thursday Murder Club and she said, make sure you do the audiobook. And I thought, okay, great. Oh, I like that there's a specific recommendation for the audiobook. That must mean the audiobook is really good. The audiobook is not only really good, the audiobook is spectacular. I actually don't think this would have been a five-star book for me if I had read it in print. I'm going to tell you that the narrator, whose name is Leslie Manville, does a brilliant performance of these British characters. Everybody has their own distinct, nuanced performance. There is so much layered presentation and layered opinion that everybody in the cast comes to life beautifully. This book is pretty plot heavy. It paces through quickly. And I would say overall, the general mood is absolutely delightful. 
I gobbled this book up, but it really took me about a week to make through the audiobook version. And because of that great performance that Leslie Manville does, I probably listened to it no faster than 1.5. In many ways, I think that that also enabled my enjoyment of the book. When I listen to nonfiction, I probably go up to 1.8. But honestly, I really didn't want to with this because of that fantastic elderly comedy. The dialogue in this is really, really great. There's also some moments where your breath is kind of taken away with the bittersweetness of life. I don't want to give spoilers, but of course, this is a cast of characters who are in their 80s, these octogenarians, and they've experienced really dimensional, really beautiful lives. And some of that has been heartbreaking grief. And there are some moments, especially towards the end, when you've really already fallen for these characters, where things happen to them, or you learn about their past lives. And you sort of get a you know sucker punch to the gut because you're really feeling for them and you really care about them, and you don't want to see them go through you know grief or sadness or betrayal. I really think this is the kind of book everybody loves. It's funny. It's well written. There's twists and turns. It doesn't shy away from real issues. Um, and uh, again, I thought Leslie Manville was one of the best audio narrators I've heard in a long time. I was absolutely captivated. I would love to just do a little bit of a, you know, rabbit hole on Leslie Manville and some of the other books that she's read. The characters of the foursome in The Murder Club were fascinating. And the writing actually does enough to leave you as a reader in the dark as to doubt actually some of the good intentions of your beloved characters. You're sort of left guessing because the murder happens in their own backyard. For yourself as a reader, through parts of the novel, is this person actually all good just because I love them and I find them endearing? Or should I actually be suspicious enough of them? You know, not everyone is all good. Not everyone is all bad. There are lots of fantastic red herrings. And I believe as a reader, you know, I felt so super satisfied, even with some of the dark bits at the end. And thank goodness this book is a series because I will absolutely looking, be looking forward to number two. This took me a while to get from my library. I think it's super popular for a reason. That's The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. That is the last of my three loves. And you know that I love to talk about a dissenting opinion. So what we're going to do is actually dive into a one-star review of The Thursday Murder Club on Goodreads. I'm shocked to see that this book has an average of 3.92 on Goodreads with over 300,000 ratings. So let's see what some people had to say about this book. The average rating is four stars. But a good fair number of people gave it one star. So let's click through and see what they had to say. <laughs> All right, here we've got Kathy who says right up front, unpopular opinion alert, but I thought that this book was kind of terrible. It has a nice concept, sort of. It's partially set in a retirement village and we're quickly introduced to a lot of quirky characters who have organized themselves into a Thursday murder club in order to solve crimes that happened a long time ago. So far, reasonably okay. And when a real murder takes place adjacent to the community, the gang decides to throw themselves into investigating it for real. And this is what a majority of plot is taken up with. As a concept, this is all fine. But this isn't it. Richard Osman then feels the need to introduce us to 50 or so other characters for seemingly no reason whatsoever. Oh my gosh, I don't agree at all. I think that the dynamic cast of characters allows you as a reader to play whodunit along with the murder club. Because... You're meeting and understanding all of the different people surrounding the events, and you're also understanding how they're connected or not connected, and you're trying to make and deduce these connections alongside the murder club. 
The narrative jumps around so much it's difficult to remember anyone's name, much less become invested in anyone's individual story. Okay, so that's um interesting because I wonder if my understanding of the characters via Leslie Manville's narration helped me to keep them separate and distinct. I've seen, this is back to the reviewer, I've seen a lot of people saying that actually the murder plot is totally secondary to all of the intricacies of the relationships between the characters in the retirement village. This would have been fine, but not enough time is actually spent exploring any of these relationships. Oh, I don't agree. I don't agree. I feel like the relationships come to life through the conversations, and the plot does a very purposeful job of peeling back the onion on relationships. There's characters in the beginning that you don't realize are actually deeply connected. And then as the book goes on, you're thinking, oh, these people actually spend more time together than I initially realized because I thought on the surface they were very different, but I'm understanding actually A, how much time they spend together, B, how well they know each other, and C, how much they care about each other. I'm not going to continue to go in because I don't want to give any spoilers. This is a great review. It's very detailed and I appreciate that with a one-star review. Sometimes when you go on Goodreads, you can see a one-star review and the person's like, I didn't read this book. And I just think, I think the Goodreads algorithm should filter out one-star reviews where the reviewer actively puts in the review, I did not read this. But I'm also known for saying that if you're a Goodreads user, you should be using it for yourself. You should not be using it to serve the community. And I don't know, I might get a lot of flack for that, but um, I guess then I also can't complain if people put one star and say, hey, by the way, I didn't finish this book because I know a lot of people use Goodreads to say, I don't remember if I read that book, let me see. And then that person might see, oh, Murder Club, Thursday Murder Club. Oh, I gave it one star and I wrote that I didn't read it. So no, I haven't read it. So th that that's also like a tracking mechanism that some folks use. Okay, those were my three loves. That was Tell Me More by Kelly Corrigan, Honey and Spice by Bola Babalola, and The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. All right, let's talk about two likes. And these are books that I didn't love. I didn't give five stars, but I gave like three and a half, four stars to. And I can see that they all have unique individual merits, but I think that makes them also hard to recommend. And so the next two books I'm going to talk about, I want you to pay specific attention to who you are as a reader and what you like as a reader. The first book I'm going to talk about is The Book Eaters by Sunyi Dean. The Book Eaters is a really curious book, and I actually kind of struggled to classify it. Goodreads calls it fantasy horror fiction. Um, I think that's probably as close as you're going to get. I would call it also specula speculative fiction. And speculative fiction is a, is a genre that I'm starting to really understand and enjoy more of, which is it takes place in a real place with a real time. But there's something speculative about it that doesn't actually exist. There's something either paranormal or magic, but it takes place in a real place in a real setting. So this book, The Book Eaters by Sunye Dean, here's the Goodreads synopsis. Out on the Yorkshire Moors lives a secret line of people for whom books are food and who retain all of the book's content after eating it. To them, spy novels are a peppery snack. Romance novels are sweet and delicious. Eating a map can help them remember destinations, and children, when they misbehave, are forced to eat dry, musty pages from dictionaries. Devon is part of the family, an old and reclusive clan of book eaters. Her brothers grow up feasting on stories of valor and adventure, and Devon, like all other book eater women, is raised on a carefully curated diet of fairy tales and cautionary stories. But real life, 
doesn't always come with happy endings, as Devon learns when her son is born with a rare and darker kind of hunger, not for books, but for human minds. So I'm going to say that if you found that summary compelling, there's a few things that are being left out of it. It claims in the summary to be sort of feminist sci-fi fiction. And that is something that I felt like was missing just a little bit from this book. But let me go a little bit deeper into my review. This book was recommended by, I think it was Indigo, which is a Canadian bookstore. Indigo had done a like best books of 2022 list and I caught it on Instagram and I thought, yeah, you know what, let's just um, take a look at some of the books on this list and put them in. And The Book Eaters was one of the first that came available for my library. I would say overall, it is fictional horror. It takes place in the Yorkshire Moors, and the overall mood of this book is really, really tense. And it starts tense, and it ends tense. And so if you're a reader that really doesn't like um, anxious reading, or really feels like you need your books to retain a bit of coziness or a bit of low stakes, I would say this book is not, not the book for you. Overall, it is a story that really stuck with me, and that is one of why it's one of my likes. I think I gave this book four stars. I did feel like there were many themes that I missed overall in my first reading of the book, and when I finished reading, I did end up going to Goodreads to try and understand some of the stuff that I had missed, I think because of how tense the reading was. By the end, I was very invested in the choices of all of the characters. I do hope there will be a sequel. I feel like a lot of the arcs were left unfinished. And I did find that overall the nature of the alien race, so the book eaters, that's not too much of a spoiler, um, the book eaters are sort of described as an alien race. I felt like that was really fascinating, but underexplored. And overall, this book, even though it's speculative fiction, is not about world building as much as it is about world busting. And so per the summary, most of the book is Devin's journey to unwrite her past, to unwrite her to write herself or to live herself out of her suppressive up upbringing. And she, she actually grows up in a very oppressive, very violent, um, very abusive upbringing in the family of book eaters. And I think that there's a lot of missed opportunities. There's many scenes that I wanted more from. And there were a lot of scenes that I wanted less from. Overall, this book is pretty graphic, pretty violent, pretty gory. But the writing is very good even though I think some of the plot left a lot to be designed. Like I said before, the story did really stick with me, and um, I think that Sunyi Dean did a really, really good job with inventing something that I've never, certainly never heard of before, and bringing contemporary themes into writing speculative fiction. Themes of motherhood, themes of family, themes of oppression, all of those things are knit into this interesting story about a group of people who live and survive off of books. I did also kind of want a little bit more of the romanticism of like, what would it be like if I could eat a book? And I think that actually that experience is underwritten a little bit. It may sound like I'm kind of complaining about this book, but like I said before, it did really stick with me. I read it in January. It's the end of March now. I can still remember vividly many of the scenes in this book, and I, I still would recommend it. I think you have to know yourself if you like speculative fiction, if you like horror in your fiction, if you like a tense read this book is definitely going to be for you. That's The Book Eaters by Sunyi Dean. My next like is An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. 
This book is contemporary fiction. I would actually call it literary fiction, published in 2018. I found this book, I think it was the Milwaukee Public Library. Let me just double check. Yes, it was. The Milwaukee Public Library has an e-newsletter that I subscribe to, even though I don't live in Milwaukee. I find it a really refreshing point of view on books, especially the backlist. And when they did their Black History Month review in their e-newsletter, this book by Tayari Jones was one that they recommended. And it has this really beautiful cover, and I definitely heard of it before. And so I was happy to see it was immediately available at the library because it does come from the backlist from 2018. This book is really beautifully written, but it is also so, so, so sad. Let me get into a bit of the Goodreads synopsis before I tell you more of my thoughts and opinions. Newlyweds Celestial and Roy are the embodiment of both the American dream and the New South. He is a young executive, and she is an artist on the brink of an exciting career. But as they settle into the routine of their life together, they are ripped apart by circumstances neither could have imagined. Roy is arrested and sentenced to 12 years for a crime Celestial knows he didn't commit. And though fiercely independent, Celestial finds herself bereft and unmoored, taking comfort in Andre, her childhood friend, and the best man at their wedding. As Roy's time in prison passes, she's unable to hold on to the love that has long been her center. This book was also nominated for Best Fiction on Goodreads in 2018. I think that overall, Tayari Jones is quite a prolific writer. She's known for really beautiful stories and a black female point of view. As I said before, I really did find a lot of this book sad. Um, I really liked the first half of the story of the marriage, which happens through letters. It's a really interesting plot device after Roy being arrested for a crime he didn't commit. As the reader, you, I really felt like I didn't quite have all of the letters, which I enjoyed being kind of on the back foot. And also understanding that title of this being an American marriage is that a marriage really can only be experienced to its fullest by the two people who are in it. And I think that that's one of the main thesis of the book is that a marriage between two people and between two black people can only be understood between the two of them. And there's going to be a lot of people who have opinions about that relationship and opinions on that marriage. And in the end, what's really going to matter is what happens between those two people. So I like this part of the book that relies on plot telling through letters. Again, because I do feel like Tayari Jones made a specific point of leaving out some of the letters. There is really brutal injustice that is the crux of this book, but there is no description of those actual events, which I think also left me feeling a bit unmoored. I think the author intended because the main female character, Celestial, she is left with the rug kind of pulled out from under her. And I think I sort of felt that way as well as a reader, which I think was an important point of writing by Tayari Jones. There is not really a lot of conversation about whether Roy is guilty until the end. Um, and the book comes to a climax at a part that really felt really eye-opening. And, and I actually realized just how much more was going on for the characters than I realized. And again, I think that was a really purposeful storytelling on the part of the author because the only people who really understand a marriage are the people who are within it. There is one part of this book that I really didn't like, which is that it has an epilogue. And the epilogue actually felt kind of forced to me. It kind of felt like the author was maybe asked by her editors to leave the reader feeling hopeful for Celestial and Roy. But I actually, I didn't need that as a reader. I felt like the storytelling was masterful enough that what was going to happen to them next was unknown to me, but that I could still be satisfied by understanding this chapter in their story. It almost feels like it wasn't really written by the author. And I felt like the ending was purposefully moving, but then the epilogue sort of, you kind of blink and you feel like you're watching a TV show from a different writer's room. 
Tayari Jones did admit that she kind of felt unsure about how to finish this book in her author notes. And I, I really felt that by the end. I especially felt that when I read the epilogue. So that is An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. I think if you like to read stories from diverse points of view, this is a great story. Both main characters are Black. The author is Black. It takes place in the South. And it's really, really well-written storytelling, wonderful character studies of when you set out to spend your life one way and what actually happens is completely different than that. So those were my two likes. That was The Book Eaters by Sonia Dean and An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. The next book I'm calling a current hit. I'm going to be shocked if you haven't heard of it. It's called I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. This book I finished recently and I thought a lot about whether or not to share it in this episode because I do think that this book comes with a lot of caveats and one of them being quite a lot of trigger warnings. Let me get into the Goodreads synopsis first. A heartbreaking and hilarious memoir by the iCarly and Sam and Cat star Jeanette McCurdy about her struggles as a former child actor, including eating disorders, addiction, and a complicated relationship with her overbearing mother, and how she retook control of her life. And I'm not going to read too much more of the synopsis because I don't want to give spoilers. This book is a hit in every sense of the word. It has an incredible cover. It has this sort of quirky vintage vibe. The title, I'm Glad My Mom Died. I can't imagine a person who doesn't want to crack open that book and understand why this is the title of this book. There's a picture of Jeanette holding an urn of her mom's ashes with this kind of like sheepish smile on her face. It has a 4.54 rating on Goodreads, which is bananas. And there's almost half a million people who have rated this book. So I think that's about as big of a denominator as you're going to see on Goodreads. It was the winner for the Goodreads Best Memoir and Audiobiography of 2022. I have a few caveats to this book, and I'm going to tell you, you should read it if, and I want you to pay really, really close attention to the next few things that I'm going to say. Because if I knew then what I know now, I actually don't know if I would have read this book. I did like it. It is very hard to recommend. The beginning of the book starts with your concern for Jeanette. As a child, she's surrounded by an abusive mother and other incompetent adults. And the layers of abuse are revealed really slowly over the book, over the series of vignettes. I do not know why this book is called Heartbreaking and Hilariously Funny, because to my mind, it is only heartbreaking. There's very little of this book that is actually funny. And in terms of triggers, I think child abuse disordered eating and alcoholism come in with the biggest of red flags, um, in particular eating disorders. I would say almost more of this book is about her eating disorder than her relationship with her mother. And I found it really, really hard to read a lot of the parts of the book where she just engages in really self-destructive, self-loathing behavior. I did not feel like the title of this book adequately portrays the level of abuse in the book. And I actually don't believe that Jeanette is glad that her mom died. She doesn't really discuss this sentiment at all. I think as the reader, you're glad her mom died because her mom is an absolutely horrible, horrible person. Um, and, you know, I was relieved to see Jeanette does make her way to a place of healing. But that journey actually starts at the end of the book, which as a reader was really unsatisfying. And also, as a person with compassion, makes me feel like Jeanette actually 
hasn't made her way through enough healing. And maybe writing this book was part of that healing for her. Um, certainly writing has been and can be tremendously healing. But I feel like more of this book is actually about her descent to rock bottom. And her journey through healing is what would have interested me more as a reader, uh, less so than the sort of rubbernecking of her personal demise and her personal suffering. So that makes me surprised that people rate it so highly because I do think that she's incredibly vulnerable. She really exposes a lot of her own experiences as a child and as an as a young adult. But I also, you don't really see your way to the other side of it. You have to kind of take her word for it that she's made her way through. She does talk a little bit about therapy and she also talks a little bit about choosing therapists, which I thought was helpful. But again, I think that when people say this book is funny, I think what they really mean is accessible. The book is very compulsively readable. It's a page turner. A lot of the chapters are super, super short, which I appreciated given the nature of the abuse within the book. But a lot of it does at times feel repetitive and gratuitous. And I think that that's just Jeanette needing to tell her own story. I am not of the generation that would have watched this show. And so I certainly wasn't drawn to it for any kind of behind the scenes Nickelodeon drama. But there is a little bit of that in this book. So if you find that interesting, I would say if you are in any way triggered by disordered eating, you should stay away from this book with a 30 foot pole because it's extremely disturbing. I, I almost found that more disturbing than the abuse. But again, I think that that's in some ways related to the writing, related to some of the choices that Jeanette made. And I think those choices are directly related to her processing and her healing of that experience with her mother. It is a hit. I did give it four and a half stars, but I'm sharing my fulsome thoughts with you because I think that while for me the reading experience was a four and a half, I think, again, it's extremely hard to recommend. I think you have to do your research before you jump into this book. And I didn't do that. And I think if I had, I don't know if I would have picked it up. I think I would have probably passed on it. Um, which would have been fine. I think you really have to know yourself. That being said, you know, um, not that I gave it a low rating, but there's a lot of people who really, really love this book. And so I want to dive a little bit into a five-star read on Goodreads. This is a review from someone named Val who calls herself the Shameless Handmaiden. One thing I really appreciated from Val is the depth and frequency of her reviews on Goodreads. Here is Val's review of I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. She says, I'm glad her mom died too, in quotes. Why do we romanticize the dead? Question mark. And then Val says, indeed, why do we? Before this book came out, my knowledge of Jeanette McCurdy only extended to random gifts featuring her iCarly character, Sam Puckett. I didn't actually know who she was and what they were from. I just knew they were funny and they fit my book review purposes. And then she has an example of one of those gifts. When this book dropped, however, I was drawn to the title, the gloriously vintage macabre book cover, yep, and the fact that it was getting rave reviews. I was excited to read this, and I loved the cover so much that I purchased the hardcover drop instead of waiting for my library hold. I initially started this in early September, but for personal reasons I won't get into, I had to set it down for a bit. I have almost no triggers, and I can read pretty much anything without being all that affected. But again, for personal reasons I won't get into, I found the details of Jeanette's mother's behavior narcissism, and emotional manipulation to be extremely triggering. And don't even get me started on the eating disorder triggers. I was also amidst a fairly stressful period in my work life, so I decided to wait until that was over 
before picking this back up. Wow, that is an example of insightful reading. Our books are not going anywhere. And I have book FOMO as much as anybody else. And I really appreciate that part of Val's review includes that she put this book down. That she recognized that it wasn't fitting the season of life that she was in. And even though there were a lot of things that attracted her to the book, she didn't have to force or muscle her way through. I would also say personally, as a reader, me, medium lady, I, I have very few triggers as well. And I can read a lot of things. Um, sometimes I've actually tried to dial up my triggers. I've tried to be more of a sensitive reader. But um, so I, I really appreciate that Val's kind of bringing that insight to their review. Uh, let's go back to Val's review. She says, fast forward a little over a month and my library audiobook old was then available. So I decided to jump back in with that format. And that's another really interesting thing is sometimes a book isn't working for you in print or a book isn't working for you in audio. And what you need to do is switch it up. And I've made reference to that actually before in my episode about reading ruts, which I'll link in the comments. Let me just say that I can't recommend the audiobook version of this highly enough. It is obviously read by Jeanette McCurdy herself. I think she does a great job of it. I think the dichotomies of Jeanette's life and story are very interesting and well-explained. She is able to get across very nuanced and contradictory sentiments without sounding like a complete whiner. And that's a really hard thing to accomplish in practice. I think that's actually very interesting. I felt like the nuanced and contradictory sentiments were more a reflection of her trauma. And Val is seeing that as a reflection of her writing. For example, this is Val's review again, she is able to outline how, despite understanding how privileged and, quote, lucky she was to be famous and on TV, she loathed acting, a lot of the fans, and the experience that came with it all. She nails this in the book. Val goes on to say, I also felt very connected to Jeanette, and I had a lot of empathy for her. I grew up in L.A. County, and I'm very familiar with almost every location she references in the area. Well, that's interesting that that would... Yeah, the whole book takes place in the L.A. Orange County area, and I, I suppose if you're familiar with the area that you might actually get more out of that from the, um, from the book. And then later on in the review, Val discloses that, you know, some of her own experiences she related to, um, and she doesn't want to get personal in her review, and et cetera, et cetera. I'll try to link this in the show notes. It's a really, really good review. Her final summary is, overall, this book was a great account of a very unique human experience. I will definitely check out any future books or content Jeanette puts out in the future, and I'm rooting for her, her recovery, and her happiness. Yeah, I, I would agree with Val. I'm definitely rooting for Jeanette as well, and I've actually dipped into a couple of podcast and YouTube interviews. Drew Barrymore on The Drew Barrymore Show did a really lovely interview with Jeanette that was really interesting and insightful. I think Drew Barrymore probably is about 15 years older than Jeanette, and some of the things they allude to having had very similar life experiences. That's I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. All right, my last book for this episode is a must-read from the backlist. This is The One in a Million Boy by Monica Wood, published in 2016. The One in a Million Boy is a book that I had the pleasure of reading on a buddy read. Buddy reading is something that I have been dabbling in since the beginning of 2023 with three bookish friends, Allie, Stephanie, and Jillian. And all three of them have been on book episodes here on Medium Lady. So the four of us have started a buddy reading experience and we are each contributing a book that we pull randomly and we read together. And what we do is we sort of pace ourselves through the book at the same time. The One in a Million Boy is our second official book, 
and it was a great experience. It actually completely probably inflated my rating of this book, but it also slowed me down to read this book at much of a different, more leisurely, more appreciative pace than I think I would have if I had not been reading it through Buddy Read, if I'd been reading it on my own. Let me get into the Goodreads synopsis of this book. The story of your life never starts at the beginning. Don't they teach you anything at school? So says 104-year-old Ona to the 11-year-old boy who's been sent to help her out every Saturday morning. As he refills the bird feeder and tidies the garden shed, Ona tells him about her long life, from first love to second chances. Soon she's confessing secrets she had kept hidden for decades. One Saturday, the boy doesn't show up, and Ona starts to think he's not so special after all. But then his father arrives on her doorstep, determined to finish his son's good deed. The boy's mother is not so far behind, and Ona is set to discover the world can surprise us at any age, and that sometimes sharing a loss is the only way to find ourselves again. Just reading that, I got goosebumps and tears in my eyes. <laughs> this book is this book is really, really special. This is a special kind of fiction. Uh, One in a Million Boy by Monica Wood. So I read this, as I said, with a buddy read, and I this was my pick for our buddy read, which we always pick at random. And maybe we'll get into that in a future episode. Let me know if you're curious about buddy reading and how we've been working it out. Perhaps we'll do an episode with all four of us. But the One in a Million Boy is set in Maine. And I would say that it's a pretty melancholy, bittersweet type of book. Overall, it took us 13 days to get through this book. And it's actually not that long. I think it's just around, it's just around 400 pages. This book does contain the triggers of child loss and parental grief. That's not a spoiler. That comes out very early in the book. And I found this again from the modern Mrs. Darcy. One of the commitments of our buddy reads is to pull books from the backlist. Um, and that generally means books from 2020 or earlier so that we can access books quickly from our libraries. We're all avid library users. We didn't want the buddy reading experience to mean that we had to uh, expend our budgets on, on books. So when the assignment was to pull a book from the backlist, I actually just went to Modern Mrs. Darcy and I typed in Favorite Books 2016 and The One in a Million Boy was the first book on the list. <laughs> so I just plopped it in our algorithm and sure enough, it became our March book. This has another irresistible trope for me, which is elderly comedy, elderly zingers. The character of Ona is so fully formed that she says these things out the side of her mouth and under her breath that I just wish I'd captured them all. I started tracking them somewhat maybe halfway through the book and I feel like I even still miss some of them because I was just kind of carried along the whole time uh, of this book. There were moments that I annotated and things that I really, really loved about the story and that also enhanced my enjoyment of it. The book is told in, I think, five or six parts. And so as buddy readers, we paced ourselves through the parts. We said, listen, everybody get their way through part one, and then we'll talk about what we've been reading. And so we did that every part, and we would just chat on WhatsApp um, once we've once everybody's kind of reported in that they've finished reading a part. And I think that that, again, that paced us to read the book over about two weeks. And it also allowed us to appreciate what each part of the book the author was trying to craft into a story. I really love the writing of this book in particular. It's very amazing. I, I think I would give the craft of this book five stars. I did feel some of the vignettes get a little bit heavy handed in the end. But overall, and especially looking back, again, I've said this is a really special book. The writing is particularly beautiful. 
but not in that um, prosaic kind of way. There are themes of birds, themes of family, themes of childhood, themes of parenthood, themes of what it's like to be loved through a lifetime and other really, really incredible themes in this book, friendship and chosen family. The book is about loss. It's also about redemption and understanding that, you know, life isn't really over until it's over, especially when you have your main character, 104. The book is best summed up by this quote, uh, the story of your life never starts at the beginning, just as the Goodreads quote says. I really love the alternating perspectives in this book. It includes some, some oral history. It also includes some Guinness World Record lists. The lists were not my specific cup of tea, but I think it makes the book feel sort of like a scrapbook of a life, which is really important, again, when the main character is 104 years old. I can't think of anybody, unless child loss or grief is going to be a trigger for you, I, I could see so many people getting a lot out of this book. In particular, the character of Ona. This was a character that I just wanted to get to know. I wish she lived on my street, although I feel like I would probably maybe be a little bit scared of her. And I'd like to think of myself as somebody who would befriend her and benefit from her years of wisdom and experience. But it's also possible that... Uh, that I wouldn't do that. And that kind of loops me back to Tell Me More by Kelly Corrigan, which is a book about connection and friendship. I'm going to turn 40 this year. And one of the things that I can't help but notice being a theme of this next decade is about connections, both old connections and new connections, about paying closer attention to the relationships in my life that have made it this far and paying attention to the capacity in me that I have to put myself out there and make new friends. And again, the character of Ona She's really stepping outside of her comfort zone in this book. She doesn't always do so with grace. She doesn't always do so with empathy and kindness, but she still maintains connection nevertheless. And I just found that incredibly inspiring. And I don't know what it is about me, you know, wanting to relate to a 104-year-old woman on the cusp of my 40th birthday, but <laughs> it is what it is either way. That's The One in a Million Boy by Monica Wood. Okay, so let's go over our books. We've got... Tell Me More by Kelly Corrigan, published in 2018. Honey and Spice by Bola Babalola, published in 2022. The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman, published in 2020. The Book Eaters by Sunyi Dean, published in 2022. An American Marriage by Tayari Jones, published in 2018. I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy, published in 2022. And One in a Million Boy by Monica Wood, published in 2016. Those are the six books that I felt like were really memorable and worth sharing with you for this episode. That's been three loves, two likes, a current hit, and one must read from the backlist. Thank you so much for listening and spending time with me. I would love to know what you're reading right now. Um, currently, if you want to know, currently I am reading Babel by R.F. Quang. That is a total pivot for me historical fiction, speculative fiction, and very academic, takes place in Victorian era Oxfordian England. Let me know if you've read that one. Again, if you want to kind of see what I'm reading more day to day, you can go ahead and follow me on Instagram. I'm at medium.lady over there. I really appreciate your time and attention. It's so nice to spend this time with you just chatting and talking about books. I hope that you were able to find a recommendation in today's episode. 
And I also want you to know that whether you're reading 30 books or three in the span of a year, you're still doing a good job. I think that there's nothing quite like reading for us to see ourselves, whether I'm trying to see myself in a character like Ona, a 104-year-old woman, or perhaps see them as windows. We're seeing into someone else's life and maybe gaining empathy for them, such as my experience reading I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy or An American Marriage by Terry Jones. No matter what, I am so, so, so grateful for you. You are doing such a good job. I love you very much and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Please make sure to reach out and connect on Instagram with me. I can be found at medium.lady over there. If you have any feedback about today's conversation, you can head to the pink tile in my feed for the latest episode and we can always continue the conversation over there. If you like this podcast, please make sure to share a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you love this podcast, please share it on social media. Be sure to tag me so I can personally thank you for growing our community. Finally, be sure to follow this podcast wherever you're listening and make sure your notifications are on. Don't forget, you're doing such a good job. Bye! Fast forward a little over a month and my library... (laughs) Yes! Come in! Hi, Beckett. I was dreaming about Gladiator. Oh no. No, I was dreaming about Gladiator. Was that a happy dream? Yeah. <laughs> okay. He just needed to take Hulk out for a quick pee. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, Hulk's been out for a number of pees. Please know that spending time on one's creative life, one also needs to plan and prepare for interruptions at all times.